Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the ODI Friday's lunchtime lecture. Uh, today, uh, we have with us um, Don Hemingway, who is the head of data at the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, who will be um, telling us about their data ethics journey. Um, before uh, we start with the actual talk, I just would like to do a bit of housekeeping and reminding that we are encouraging both our audience here and at home to ask us questions. Um, for our audience here, I will be circulating the microphone so that you can ask a question. Uh, for those of you who are at home, uh, please uh, interact with us on Twitter using the hashtag ODI Fridays. Um, so today I'll be taking you, taking you through our approach um, to navigating the advertising networks and our ethical considerations about how we use data um, and how the networks use our data on our sites. Um, being a, you know, so as we know, the digital sort of death, um, data through social networks, advertising networks and Google Analytics, those types of things, um, it can be quite opaque. So what we've kind of tried to do is trying to understand the bits where we can understand and make more transparent. How can we understand those better? You know, and because ultimately with these networks, being able to re for us, being able to reach those who may need our services or who will support us in providing those services, it, you know, will often be done through digital channels. So, you know, so we, we absolutely use these networks and, it, and so they are important. So I'm not sitting here saying they're the devil incarnate. But there are things that we really need to be thinking about when we're using these networks. Um, what I've been sharing has come from a process of continual improvement. It's not like a big bang thing we've done. And, and sometimes it's actually just been the formalis uh, formalisation of anything that we've done for years and years. So I'm not suggesting our approach is right for everybody. Um, but hopefully some of the questions that we're kind of raising today will be useful in thinking about what is right for other people's organisations. Okay, so firstly, who are we? So hopefully most of you know who we are. Um, so we are a UK-based children's charity um, around, as we say, it's in the name, Preventing Cruelty to Children. And um, we kind of do that through many, many ways. So one of the things we have, for those who don't know, we run the Childline Helpline, which is a place for young people to contact us on the line, on the phone, at any time. It runs 24 hours a day. Um, we had um, our, we're in the middle of our, we've come towards the end of our five-year strategy, which was we had five goals to make five million children safer during that period. We've already met that. Um, and we also do kind of campaigning through, like campaign the government to try and improve kind of um, laws, etc. So we've had one around um, closing the loophole, um, which ones you might have seen, and kind of Wild West Web, which is about um, kind of putting some restrictions around some of those kind of big networks. We also are a fundraising organisation. We're predominantly funded by our amazing supporters, and that, and then there's many ways that people support us. So one of the ones that's going on at the moment is our kind of one of our Christmas campaigns is around getting your sparkle on at Christmas and being all sparkly at Christmas, which seems kind of quite apt. So dive straight into it. Um, one of the conversations we've been kind of thinking about, is kind of what I was saying earlier, is there's a whole bunch of conversations we need to think about, not just from a compliance view. I mean, we all understand the need for compliance and making sure that we are legally right. But is compliance, in, you know, is that legal framework enough? Actually, should we be thinking about that? So um, 
what we kind of did, we actually started by having a big workshop, which included people from across our organisation. So that could be children's services practitioners, that was marketeers, that was data people, that was digital people. You know, you know this, so there's people from the front line as well as the kind of the behind the scenes. And these are the sorts of questions that we were kind of asking. But what it did mean is that we are kind of thinking about the whole spectrum of kind of those kind of different views, because everyone comes with different pieces of experience. They understand, you know, some will understand how it you know, physically impacts children and young people. Others are kind of thinking of it from a marketing point of view, you know, on fundraising point of view, you know, so, you know, the balance, making sure that we're balanced across all of those things. And these are sorts of questions. I won't, I don't like talking, just repeating what's on a slide. But, you know, ultimately for us, you know, from an ethical standpoint, it was about having clear principles and a framework that we could work within that was not only compliant, but also works with us within our kind of organisational context and kind of what we stand for. So this is kind of was the starting point. And actually, off the back of this, we now actually have a digital and data ethics board. So whenever we're looking at doing something different or new, like, um, say, for example, we want to work with a new social network or whatever it might be, it goes to this board for discussion. And it's a lively discussion, and it's a really positive thing that comes out of there. And, we, and we, it kind of works really, really well. But as I say, I appreciate that's not for everyone, but that's something that really works for us. Because, as I mentioned, because we have all these different elements, we, are, we have lots of different audiences. So we have young people who are our audiences and who we're trying to offer, you know, make sure are aware of our services. We have you know, adults who um, use our helplines or find using us to get information. There is, um, uh, um, and also there are adults who are basically supporting us to actually deliver this. So, you know, there, there are different needs for those different, you know, for those different audiences and cohorts. So lots of things to think about, um, which I appreciate for some people, it's <laughs> not as complex. Okay, so I'm a data person and we're at the Open Data Institute. So we always start with mapping the data. So one of the things we started to think about was we did a tag, we'd done it, we, you know, we, we did regularly do tag audits. And so we kind of took all of those tags. This is a simplified version. I'd like to point out it was a much more complicated. This. Um, we basically took our kind of, you know, the sorts of um, cookies and, you know, and tags that we had on our site. And we started to look at what data is actually sent back to these networks. What's one of the interesting things is, is, is obviously if you're using things like Google Analytics or Facebook or whoever it might be, they provide you with the tagging and the cookies that you need to use. And often out of the box, they, you know, you know, they, they will ask, they will automatically do things that have actually got to remember the, they're supplying these in a way that way for a reason. You know, they, are, they want that data, they want that information. So we've kind of, you kind of need to not only understand what it's sending, but also what other aspects within the kind of cookie and the kind of, and what is, what is restrictable. And quite often there are things that are restrictable, but I'll come on to that a little bit later. So, as I say, mapping the data is kind of was a start, well, it was taggled, it was a starting point, and then following on with the mapping of the data. So, hopefully, that's, got, that's one practical thing we absolutely did, because if you don't understand what's going where from your website, then you know, you're kind of, you know, how can you actually, do, you know, think about it from an ethical point of view? Um, the other thing as well is what you got to remember is 
Um, on these IPs going across, that's personal information under GDPR. So that it has a legal requirement attached to it. So something to think about when you're thinking about this stuff. You know, I think quite often we think about our transactional data, our names, addresses, email addresses being personal. We forget about IP. So, oops. So, one thing is, can we actually control all the, the tracking? Um, so, one of the things that we kind of started to think about is all the different places our audiences come to our website. And there's lots of different ones. It's not limited to these, but it kind of starts to give you a view. People go on to... Um, and if you think... We are users of Google Analytics. It's free, you know. We are a kind of... We have limited budgets and resources. We have to take advantage of these things. And as standard, Google Analytics, as the default, will be integrated with the Google network. Um, there are settings you can switch off, but if you did, even if you did, what would that mean? So we also started having conversations as a group was, well, what if we turned off all of the tracking? Um, and what would that mean? You know, well, A, that has an impact on kind of people, you know, retargeting and things like that, which we might need from a fundraising point of view. But there was something else that became really clear. So we looked at our Childline website, and what we found is that 84% of traffic to that website accessed a Google, was accessing it via a Google product. And therefore, we had no control over what that tracking was. So even if we turned off every piece of tracking on that website, there was still going to be tracking. Now, that's part of the value exchange you have with Google when you buy an Android phone, you use Chrome, or you use Google Search. You know, there's a reason these products are free. But that's something really important to think about. So... If you have, as we do, young people and potentially vulnerable adults as well, and vulnerable young people, we really need to think about how that stuff is happening and where it's going. Um, so one of the things that, so talking about, you know, so we can actually, within Google um, Analytics, you can actually turn off the integration. The other thing that they have in there is an enhanced privacy setting. So what that does is partially mask the IP address. So if you think of a postcode like EC2A3NH, that's our postcode, um, what by partially masking, you end up restricting it to EC2A, which kind of, it still means that there is an, there's still a device ID, which obviously is linked to a, um, a device and a, and a browser, but it still is starting to limit. What it also does, and so it means that they can't pinpoint exactly where that person is. So it just offers, it's only a small level of protection, but it is a level of protection. What it also does means is that they can't use that IP, nobody can use that IP address to connect with other data sources and, can, and create that full picture. So when we're thinking about the audiences we have on, on going onto our websites, that's something you kind of, it'd be useful to have a think about. And these settings are there, it, and actually it's great that Google have these settings, but quite often we don't use them because we're not even aware that they're actually there. So... This is where we haven't integrated, and it kind of comes back to my point around the fact that, you know, the vast majority of things are still kind of... No, this isn't us necessarily sharing anything with the Google network. This is about how it kind of um, tracks through from kind of the device you're on. But so, you know, this is absolutely the way we have now gone across our websites, so for obvious reasons, but, you know, and, but across the board. So something to think about, um, you know, and the, and the reality is although I'm talking about Google Analytics to here, it could be any other tool. The only kind of ones, there are tools out there where you can kind of store all the data on your own platforms, and that's something we're looking for some of our websites at the moment. 
but just something to have a think about. Okay, social media. So unsurprisingly, and I'm sure this is true for any brand out there, significant traffic comes to our websites through social media advertising. Advertising, And, you know, and if we're trying to reach young people, that's the platforms that, you know, that they're on. Um, they're a communication channel, you know, ultimately. Um, you know, so an interesting stat, I was shocked by this one. Um, I haven't got the source with me, but I know it's correct is that um, Snapchat, for example, 85% of young people go on Snapchat every day. And, 90, and that goes up to 90% for females in the UK. This is UK kind of teenager, teenage years. So, you know, it's really important that we're on those platforms. Um, but, in fact, by placing, by doing integrations with these kind of social networks, we're actually sharing data back. So coming back to my earlier point, if you have got something sensitive on your website that people you know, like we do, you know, people might be coming to look at for information on child abuse, for example. It's really important. We don't really, we don't really want to be sharing that back. So um, you know, that's sort of again, you need coming back to the tracking the data, thinking about who your audience is, what information they're looking at. You know, it, you know, and ultimately. We have to use these. They're effective communication, you know, um, uh, you know, for effective communication strategies. However, we also need to think about that. So, what you know, quite often comes back to the value exchange. The value exchange of putting these on your website is it helps you kind of follow an individual through the process. So, for Childline, for example, we do not put these on our website. YouTube's slightly different, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we don't have these trackers on our website. But we know that that. It limits us from a kind of reach and a marketing point of view. And I thought use marketing, it's more information sharing than it is marketing, but it's the same principles. But something to think about. Okay, so YouTube. This is specific. This is a specific one for us. Um, so, you know, as I said, we have, as, an, as a charity, we have limited um, budgets, resources. And we also know that, you know, young people go onto YouTube and watch a lot of videos. It makes sense, and also adults, and we are reaching both. Um, we have a lot of videos on YouTube. You know, it does it make sense. You know, when we were kind of starting this journey years and years ago, it kind of made financial sense for us to embed the YouTube videos within our website. Actually, but one of the things, you know, and funnily enough, as we'd been going through this earlier this year, one of the things we talked about is we didn't want to do that anymore. So actually one of the things we were already looking at is kind of looking at a self-hosted solution. So YouTube also out of the box, Cookie, this is another one, little snippet that people often aren't aware of. Um, the Cookie will basically, if you've got a, the Cookie and you've got a YouTube video on your web page, it will fire, it will send the data to YouTube irrelevant of whether that video is watched or not. Again, there is a setting inside you, the YouTube cookie which stops you doing that. So it will only send the data once it's fired. So coming back to there, you can't, you've got to question these things and you've kind of got to look a little bit deeper. There's a, re no, like I say, there's a value exchange here. That's why this data, that's why these things work the way they do. But it's just one of those constantly thinking about the, the quest questioning those elements. Um, also, YouTube have just changed their T's and C's. For those who don't know, I would hope most people who are working with people under 18 would know this. Um, and they've now changed their age requirements to say that you have to be 13 to be able to use the site. Um, anyone younger than that should be going to YouTube Kids. 
And if you are under 18, you need to have your parent or guardian's consent to do so. Obviously, and if we are... If we host, we use hosted, so there's a good job we were already looking at this, because if we were hosting YouTube videos on our website, as we do right now, although we're in the process of moving that, um, what that would mean is we would be, um, we could potentially be um, pushing young people through YouTube, which we shouldn't want to do. That's not to say we shouldn't be on these platforms, because that's where we kind of get that reach, but it is something we need to consider. So, this is kind of a summing up slide Think about, this is kind of the practical, the kind of more practical approach pieces. So thinking about those enhanced privacy settings on Google Analytics or whatever analytics platform you're using. Um, one of the things we've put on some of our websites, especially where young people are involved, we've put visible signposting to encourage opt-out of tracking. So people can opt-out of tracking. So something to think about. Um, one of the things we do do at the NSPCC is we actually get to go and speak to young people about this and, un and to understand what they understood. And what was interesting is they had a far better understanding of this than, than maybe a lot of adults do. And we actually had this whole conversation about, or oh, who we, you know, we got to think about who we're protecting. So something to think, you know, so that's one thing I will say. They have a very clear understanding of what this, and they understand it's that exchange. You know, that exchange. Um, also think about those enhanced, beyond kind of your analytics platform, what are those enhanced privacy settings that you can set? So I've talked about YouTube. I've talked about the fact that we don't put um, social tracking on our Childline website. But there's also things. So, for example, on our, some parts of our Childline website and our .org website, we have no tracking at all because it's just not appropriate to do so. So, again, thinking, so again that's thinking about the who, the what, the how, etc., um, and the other thing is, which I mean, we fortunately have always had, is a robust tag management process for governance. So making sure that we have a way of kind of following through and understanding, you know, how do we get off that sign-off process? You know, who is it that needs, to go, that, that needs to go to? Where does it get discussed? And then slightly more strategically, one of the things we've actually, coming out of the board, we've actually have written a paper which we abide by internally, um, a clear set of ethical principles and policies, what we will and we not won't do across our various audiences, websites, etc. Um, you know, they're, they're most relevant to us, so I, I didn't think it was worth sharing those. Um, a clear, comprehensive governance framework, so making sure that we can, you know, we can follow those processes, we can, we, it's all documented, etc. Um, we're in the process of implementing a cookie management tool which, with data privacy at its heart and not just necessarily going for an out-of-the-box one because what we found is quite often those cookie management tools that are out there share the data with the advertising network, so considering that. Um, the other thing as well is we're thinking about, you know, we need to be transparent about this hence why I'm allowed to come and talk to you about today about it. Um, and it needs to be clearly articulated in plain English for everyone to see. You know, it's no good if nobody can understand this. You know, this is on our intranet. We've done training across the organisation. We've made sure that everyone really understands this um, from the top to the bottom. Um, there's also a charity digital code of practice for those who don't know that. I mean, whether you're a charity or not, I think that's a really good starting point to look at all the different options that are available. Um, it kind of is quite comprehensive and quite useful. So kind of more, some more strategic, so we've got some practical level base approaches and some kind of strategic approaches there. Um, this is kind of our data ethics, digital ethics review process. Um, 
you know, as I say, we've kind of got, a, this is kind of thinking, you know, this is an example of where we really need to think about what that is, you know. And one of the key things for us, as well as the compliance process, obviously, is we need to consider first, should we do it, rather than can we do it? And I think that's a quite a key distinction. Quite often, you know, we'll see a case study and get all excited because, oh, yeah, we could do that and we could do this and we could do that. But we, you know, we think about that can, but really, if we come from a place of should, that really helps. Um, and, you know, and it's interesting, we've had some interesting conversations internally about, you know, our shoulds versus, you know, um, a commercial organisation shoulds as well. So it's quite an interesting thing. But again, just making sure it has a very clear process that we aren't, you know, you aren't going to get kind of stuck, we aren't going to get stuck and lost and it will kind of go down a big black hole. So, some final thoughts. Um, so, it's about information, having all the information um, in an easy-to-consume way, so one, something that everyone can do, so that data mapping, that tag audit, um, ensuring all levels of the, um, of the business understand this. So, we've definitely had people going into our board and basically doing presentations and training on this. Um, Having a clear view of the ecosystem and what is happening, and that's kind of have, you know, understanding all those different bits. Thinking about the data privacy landscape, as I say, we could have gone with a kind of cookie management tool that was every, you know, lots of other people have gone with, and we've chosen not to do that because we wanted a specific approach to that. Having clear principles and an ethical framework um, that, go, no, that goes beyond that compliance, so everyone is and, it, and that it has consensus, and the consensus is the key, because there's no point... <clears throat> one part of the organisation wanting, you know, thinking that this is right and another part thinking it's not. And that's where that pan-organisation group comes through. Ask questions, I think, is also really important. You know, as I said, you know, as, you know, as we've kind of gone through this continual improvement process, you know, we keep finding little settings that you can change that, if you, that you, know, you don't know about. So when you're working with vendors or suppliers or whoever it might be, ask the questions understand what the defaults are, understand what those are, you know, what other options there is. I mean, we had one we discussed the other day, I won't say who it was, where an email address has to be sent back. And we kind of went, no, we're not going to, we can't use that then. Now, we're now looking at alternative ways of that. But those are the sorts of, no, but very easily that could have been implemented and not really thought about. So, as I say, kind of thinking about all of those things. So, yeah. ah, can't do it. So, in short, this is an ongoing journey for us. I'm not suggesting we are, you know, done. I think we will forever be going forward with this. We will forever be questioning and making sure. And I'm sure, you know, as new people come on to, into the organisation, uh, you know, we will, we will continue to look at things, you know, and I'm not suggesting we have everything down pat. Um, but it's really important that we kind of evolve that over time and we need to ensure, but at least we know we're in the right place to start that. And, you know, and not just thinking about that legal compliance aspect, but kind of thinking about the, let, you know, the kind of the, um, the, the vision of GDPR and actually thinking about what is right and what we should do. Um, but we also understand that you know, we ultimately have to leverage the benefits that digital bring because that's how we connect. So um, that's me. Questions? All right. Thank you very much for a great talk. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, questions? Who wants to ask the first one? Right. If you can also introduce yourself. Yeah, and sure. thanks. Uh, 
my name's Majid, and I'm actually in Dawn's team. Um, but I know very little about this, which is why I'm asking a question. Um, do you think, for the sector, this is this is quite a rare thing? Um, do you think it'll take an incident or some sort of scandal for others to wake up to it, or yeah, it's is, interesting. Is, is it growing? Yeah, well, I mean, um, again, I won't mention what it was. Um, but we, again, we had a board session the other day where we were literally having a conversation about could we... So the board goes more than just this. It covers wider data as well. Um, and we were talking about could we do this with some data? And, um, you know, and while we absolutely take the view, you know, we will not necessarily follow what everyone else is doing because we have to look at that for ourselves. You know, the, there was a comment made, you know, well... Lots of other charities are doing this, and someone. And then we, we coming back to our, who's in the room. We have a, someone from press in the room, and they said that exact point. It's like, well, if there was a scandal in this, you know, how would how you know you know could, could there be a scandal about this? Um, you know, it isn't illegal, but actually, is that what people would expect from a charity? For example, no, from us. For example, we only think about us, but you know, we're thinking about the sector as well. Um, so I think that that potentially could happen. And I think what's interesting is we think about things like the social networks and the advertising and Google and all the rest of it. The kind of, the, what everyone, no, the media is kind of very clearly looking at them and governments and all the rest of it. So I can't, I can't help but feel that some of the things that are going on in this area are going to ultimately end up being tightened up and which may end up leading to a scandal anyway. But so effectively, what I hope is, is by us taking this approach and being further along than just covering the legal you know, requirements, we will be in a place where if there was a scandal or if there was changes, we'll actually be in a really good stead to be able to manage that and actually be able to hold our hands up and say, we've been doing this anyway. Hi, I'm Ellie from um, William Joseph, who is a digital and design agency, working with a lot of charities. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting and um, fantastic what you've managed to achieve. Um, I'm very much from a marketing background, so this question you may not be able to answer, but I'm, I'm really interested to hear how marketing and digital teams have um, taken to this approach and how they would think about, um, from a marketing team from a charity, whether they would see... I, I think they would completely understand, putting myself in their shoes, that the data sending back is not okay, but how they are adapting to some of the site, because sites are completely not being tracked, for example, yeah. when they may feel that they're evolving um, and making changes that are better for the people using it rather than wanting to do anything kind of malicious. Yeah. Or and as I say, marketing and digital are absolutely on our ethics board. So, like I say, we have the spectrum. Yeah, it's really interesting. And um, what was interesting is, one of the boards a while ago, um, they, due to an incident that was happening, they couldn't join the meeting. And there was a couple of areas we decided to postpone till they were in the room because we knew that they would have very strong views on it. Um, you know, and then we kind of get in the room. So, you know, so this is the whole point. You know, everyone's thinking, you know, we have someone from our online safety team in there. You know, we have people from our marketing team. We have children's um, services practitioners. That's the point. You know, they, you know, by us all being in a room together, all listening to what each other is saying, we can come up with that balanced view. And you know, what's been really good about this is by having that transparency, by making sure that everyone really understands what this is doing, that really helps that conversation. So you know, that, you know, I talk about retargeting. 
for example. So it, you know, it might be, you know, so there's lots of different parts of this. It might be there's some areas where we feel that that's appropriate and there'll be other areas where it's absolutely not. So, and that's where we kind of, we have to understand those different audiences. We can't just look at this as a blanket, um, however much some of us might want to do that. Um, it, it, but, it, it, but that's something we always have to balance off the, you know, we are predominantly, fund, as I said earlier, predominantly funded by our amazing supporters. You know, if it wasn't for them, we would not be here. So there is, we do have to be able to kind of cover that as well. So having that balance is really important. And what it's actually meant is that services start to understand those kind of pressures that marketing and digital teams and you know, fundraising teams are on. But they also understand what the service teams are kind of, you know, it's like, well, if we did that, we'd be hypocrites type thing, you know, type thing. So, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's a perfect science, but we kind of muddle through. And, you know, the other thing as well is, we might have the same conversation every board, you know, about something because, you know, we haven't quite found, you know, we've got an agreement on, a consensus on where we are, but there's still that kind of ongoing need to see it. And, you know, this space is changing so much on a regular basis, as the YouTube thing will uh, testify, that we have to constantly be looking at those things. Hi there, my name's Gwillem. I work for a company called The Information Lab. So I found that once you move past questions of like, compliance with the regulations, there's always about as many opinions on data ethics as there are people in the room. So I'd, I'd love to hear more about what sort of strategies you use for building consensus during these workshops, because you find, I always find that everyone has, you've got the whole spectrum and it's very, very difficult to uh, find a set of ethical principles that actually everyone is on board with. And as a follow-up to that, once you have got a set of ethical principles, how do you then go about, I don't, know, I don't like using words like enforcing them, but like how do you make sure that everyone's actually complying with them rather than just say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm acting ethically in line with our things and then just doing their own thing because no one's like over their shoulder or something? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the first part of your question is very similar to the answer that I've just given over here. It's, I mean, you know, this didn't happen. We didn't get to a consensus in a half-hour meeting. Yeah. I mean, this is hours and hours and hours of conversation. But I think under, being, understanding all sides of the kind of argument really helped find that consensus. Were there specific steps you took as part of that? Lots of workshops. Literally just all those people in a room, on a call, whatever, you know, for hours cool. at times. Just genuinely just the, like the, the length of time and the amount of work? Yeah. Yeah, and it literally was until we got there. I mean, don't we, we were kind of went with things on the board that we then discussed. It wasn't just like we turned up with a blank page and went, what should we do? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we started with some information on a board. You know, some, you know here's some suggestions. You know, is this okay? Is this not okay? So we took some existing user cases, some that people we knew people wanted to do as well. And we kind of had, literally went through on a, a, a user case basis. So, you know, we, you know if we wanted to do this... How do people feel about it? And, 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 but then being clear, if we did this, this is what's shared, this is how, what, who it's shared with, this is the impact, no, this is the audience, you know, thinking about all of those things, which then helped that conversation. So I think the user cases really helped that, that part of the conversation. Um, this is the first thing. Um, remind me of the second question again? Uh, the second one. Uh, oh, enforcing. enforcing. Yeah. Not that I like to use that word. So... As I say, training has been a key part of that, making sure everyone understands that. Um, 
fortunately for us, all tracking goes through our digital data team, which sits with me, hence why I'm doing this. Um, and they are our gatekeepers. So in theory, nothing should... So while something might, well, they, a conversation might happen in the silo or when it comes to having to be able to physically get it on the platform, they have, we have gatekeepers there and that will force that. But, but like I say, training and making sure you know, all the information is available, people are clear what the process is, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, but that gatekeeper, so you ultimately do need that gatekeeper. You can't just have it as a free, a platform as a free fall to go do what you want with. May I ask a quick follow-up question? Yeah. So quick follow-up on uh, the uh, arriving at consensus through just uh, like a, lot of, a lot of workshops. Um, did you find that that was definitely like um, sort of consensual consensus or was it more like consensus through attrition where people like, you know what, this is the 10th workshop I've had on this, fine, whatever. We definitely didn't have 10 workshops. We got there quicker than that. Okay. And I think that's where the user cases came in really helpful um, because what we tend to found is after about four, five, six user cases, there were some clear themes coming out of that. And then we kind of noted those themes. And then if like we could see that, you know, and that's kind of where, that's how the principles and policies came about, was literally through those things. That's kind of how we did. So it's made it a little bit easier. Great, thank you. Question from Twitter from uh, Leonie. Uh, she says, thanks, Don. How do they, how do you go about governance for this process, given it has to evolve and decisions will be ongoing? And how has the NSPCC gone about ownership and managing that process? So um, we have the board, which is kind of where, so we have somewhere we can always take these conversations to. So we have that as part of our framework for moving forward. We have clear processes and gatekeepers, so which kind of helps enforce it. Don't like that word, but make sure we follow the process. Um, um, in my team, we have um, a senior kind of data governance lead. Um, I appreciate not all organisations can have that. And this kind of sits with her and she kind of organises that. So I think there's a few things that we've put in place. Um, and I, th I can say, I think ultimately the fact that we have that gatekeeper that nobody can go past the gatekeeper to get something on the website without us knowing about it. And the fact that we regularly do kind of audits and all of that kind of stuff to make sure that that's, you know, it's not, there's nothing rogue there. Um, then that's kind of part of it. Um, as I say, the board's been in place for about, we started our workshops. So we've been, the board itself has been in for a few months. So we're still, as I say, not suggesting we have this all down pat and we are in a kind of place where I'm sure that things will come up as we go along. But it's about coming back to my beginning point around continuous improvement. That's where we are now. We've kind of got the foundations in place. It's now kind of identifying where those gaps are and continually improving it. And I've got a follow up myself as a head of marketing and membership here at the ODI. Um, you were saying that you've been speaking to young people and people using the website uh, to get their reactions and thoughts. Um, how, do, how do they actually feel about how the data about them is being used on the site? How, how, how advanced is their understanding and how much do they seem to care about it? So they, um, they cared on certain parts of the site. So, I mean, one of the things we've never had is tracking on anywhere near our chat services. So we have online chat services. Um, We've never had tracking there, for example. And that was something they felt very strongly about too. And so I think we were definitely in a consensus there. Um, 
But yeah, so it's overall actually they were less worried than we thought they were going to be. Um, is it sums you know, and and it's something that we're looking at going back out again and continuing to make sure we're getting that feedback. Um, they definitely had a clear understanding of what by going on websites by and accepting cookies and all the rest of it. And like I say, with all the new cookie tools that are out there now, we're starting to be able to say no. Um, we also on our, some of our websites have a very clear, like I say, a clear opt-out for tracking. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, they, they, they've grown up with this stuff. So they kind of have, a, they seem to have quite a good understanding. That shouldn't mean that we should be lax about that. Um, we should still be as robust as we're being. But yeah, and we continue to check that temperature. But yeah, it's it's an ongoing thing. But I would say yeah, it, we was we we were expecting a different response when we kind of put it out. But I think that was based on us rather than them. And that was so that was in, that was why it's really important to go out to young people and get their input. Do we? Oh, final one, I promise. Um, it seems from a from a kind of objective perspective, it seems quite straightforward to say uh, this tracking is harmful or this activity is harmful. We put children first, therefore we stop doing it. There will always be another side to that, in my eyes, in terms of loss of data, right? So there's analysis you can do to say, you know, users coming from a certain region or engaging in a certain way. Have we lost that and, and how are we coping with that? There is definitely things that we've had to give up as part of this. Um, definitely, 100%. You know, if I think you, if you think about the information you can get from tracking social media on your website and through to your website and follow someone through that whole journey, we definitely lose that. Um, however, this is where you have to kind of look at, it, at those different cohorts. Um, and, you know, in some areas it might be okay, in some areas it might not. This comes back to my point is we have been very clear as part of a board what impact that would have. And that's why it's really important to have marketers, digital teams, et cetera, in that board so that we can absolutely clearly and transparently understand the impact to our organisation. However, I personally, this is a personal opinion, not an NSPCC opinion, um, think actually it forces us to be more creative. You know, it think, looks, makes us think about just, you know, you know, as I say, you know, it looks like things are tightening up in this area. We're already kind of thinking beyond that now. So actually, that potentially puts us a kind of a step ahead of where many people might be. Um, so I, I think, although there is definitely a negative, I think there is actually, it forces us to be a little bit more creative in how we do things. Do we have any more questions? Any more questions from Twitter? Okay, great. Thank you very much. Okay. And thank you for all the questions. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.